Good morning. If I could uh, just add uh, some emphasis, not that it's needed, to uh, a couple things that Haley said. Um, I, I know, for, at least for me, if you're like me, there's something intimidating about a new uh, technological platform. And so if you're not already a part of Breeze and you're already not in that system and somebody's like, hey, join this new thing, it's, it's a little bit weird. I just want to like, encourage you with a couple things. Number one, there's an app. It's really easy. I can do it. And if I can do it, trust me, you can ask my wife, you can ask Jordan. If I can do it, anyone can do it. It really is that easy. So get on there. If you have questions, you can ask Haley or you can ask Shannon, uh, my wife. Those of you that are watching online, sorry. Um, figured out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so there's that, okay? And the second thing is this. We really, really, really want to see your faces. If you're watching online, um, I know we all have reasons. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. So if your reason for not being here today or being um, at the Max house watching Josh preach and worshiping with them, if you don't have a good reason for not being at one of these two locations, show up. Come to church. We're here. We want to see you. We want to worship with you. All right. So we are still for three, three more weeks. Can you believe that? Three weeks and we're done with the year of biblical literacy. Like some of you in your reading are start to un- starting to, to uh, notice that there's really not that much left in your Bible. Like it's starting to get super thin on the right-hand side when you're reading. That means we're almost done. We're getting there. We're, we're doing it. Uh, so how many of you, of those that are actually here, whose hands I can see when you raise them, uh, are reading through the Bible for the first time? Cover to cover. Awesome. Amazing. Life-changing, right? It really is. Uh, and a lot of times it's just really transformative to us for us to, to read the story from beginning to end in the way that we're doing it. So keep with it. If you haven't taken part with in, in us in this, um, you can still do it. You can start now. If you, if you lost track and kind of lost your motivation and quit halfway through, which I know every time that we, um, that, that every time that I've read the Bible all the way through, uh, for every time that I've made it, there's probably another t- two times that I, that I didn't make it in that year. And so don't be discouraged. You can either pick back up where you left off or you can start over and do it from the beginning again. But it's worth it, I promise. So three more weeks and we're finishing off this series with kind of a mini series called Because of Jesus, right? We walked all the way through the Old Testament, saw the story of the people of God and st- the story of God as he related to his people and we got to uh, the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene. And so we talked our way through the Gospels, and now Jesus has, has come. He lived his life. He performed his ministry. He died. He rose again, and he ascended into heaven. And so now, as we read through the writings of the apostles, we're asking the question and answering the questions, because of Jesus, now what? Right? And so that's where we've been for the last few weeks. And so we're going to continue that today. I want to ask you a question first, and you'll see pretty quickly where we're going to go with this. I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning you find out that you won $100 million. Okay? You're like, I don't even play the lottery, right? Whatever. 
It was like based on voter registration. I don't know. But they got your information and you won. Okay? You won $100 million. Now, there's two reactions, right? The first reaction is, is, is one of obvious excitement because that's, I mean, that's a lot of money. And so you want to tell people. The other side of it is, is uh, if you're like me, you kind of want to keep it quiet because if you all of a sudden have that kind of money, there's a lot of expectations that go along with having that kind of money because not everybody has that kind of money and people are going to come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, remember me? We went to kindergarten together, right? You have that. So you have those two kinds of reactions. But your initial reaction is going to be to want to tell someone, right? You're going to want to tell your husband. You're going to tell your wife. You're going to want to tell your best friends. Why? Because it's really exciting, right? I mean, this is what like, people would call life-changing money for most of us. Maybe some of you already have that kind of money. I don't think there's anybody here that has that kind of money. Um, there might be somebody watching online that has that kind of money. You need to start tithing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, you guys get where I'm going with this, right? Like if something that great happened to you, you would want to tell someone and you would probably want to share it, right? I don't think anybody here is going to go like, dude, I need to hoard this money and I need to not let anybody know that I have this money because I don't want to share with anybody. I don't think any of us are going to have that initial reaction, Right? We see needs around us and we want to help with those needs, right? So, again, you know where I'm going with this. You and I have been giving something, have been given something a hundred times better, a million times better than a hundred million dollars. A hundred million times better than a hundred million dollars. We have been given the love and the grace of the Creator, you and I have been given the love and the grace of, of the creator. Is our willingness to share about the physical blessings in our life, does that match our willingness to share about our faith? Probably not. In most of our cases, unfortunately, our excitement to share our faith and our willingness to share our faith is considerably less. So that's what we're going to talk about today. This idea that because of Jesus, we have been given a bold witness. And we have the ability to have a bold witness. This is what we um, have, like, right, this idea that Jesus gives us something greater. This, Jesus talked about this all the time. Um, the, the parable of the pearl of great price, right? The, the parable of the, the treasure in the field. The parable of the rich young ruler, right? We've talked about this all the time. Every time we talk about money, we talk about this parable of the rich young ruler about how this guy, he came to Jesus and he was like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And he was like, done, already did all that. Jesus is like, great, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And what was his reaction? It says he went away sad because he was very rich. Those things were more important to him than the treasure that Jesus offered. And so we have to ask ourselves that same question. Do we consider this a treasure or is it just a, uh, a religious belief? 
Like, do we consider our faith in Jesus that valuable? That's the question that each of us have to ask. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, right? We're going backwards, I know, because we've been walking through the epistles, and now we're going back to Acts chapter 4. Here's what happens, okay? Jesus comes on the scene. He lives. He has a three-year ministry. Uh, The Romans kill him. Uh, They're asked to kill him by the Jews, right? And then he uh, comes back to life three days later, spends roughly a month with his disciples, and then ascends into heaven. And the church is born. In Acts chapter 4... There's this scene where uh, Peter and John are preaching the gospel and people are getting saved. They heal a man and they get in trouble for it. And so they get dragged before the same council that crucified Jesus. And here we go in verse uh, 15 and 16. What then shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign, they're trying to decide what to do with Peter and John. For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So these guys healed the guy, right? That like it was a complete miracle. Nobody could deny it and everybody saw it happen. So they're like, what do we do with them? Because everybody watched this thing happen and nobody can deny it. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. What name is that? So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So Peter and John's response to being warned by the same crew of dudes that just, they just watched these guys crucify Jesus hand him over to the Romans, and celebrate his torture. Now these guys are warning them, don't speak that name again. And they're like, you do what you want. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We're going to keep talking. And then in verse 29, if you look down, like they, they leave there, they release them. They leave there and they go find the rest of the disciples and they're celebrating and they pray. And they say this in verse 29, and now Lord, look upon their threats They're praying to God and saying, look upon these threats that we have just received and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness. They're praying and asking God after they just spoke with extreme boldness in the face of death. They're like, do what you want. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. And then they immediately go and they pray and ask God for the boldness to continue to speak about Jesus. That's humility. That's faith. That's what we would call a bold witness. So I want to look at this and I want to look at the contrast that we see in general. Now I know some people, and so do you, that man, they love to talk about Jesus and they will talk about him anywhere. They'll talk about him with, any, with anyone. Most of you know someone like that. And most of you watch them and you marvel at them and you wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like that. And so I'm here to tell you, you can be like that. It's not as hard as you think. And God has actually put his spirit inside of you, partly for the express purpose of doing that very thing. You can do that. But we don't. 80% of, statistically speaking, 80% of us in in the evangelical church in America believe that we should do that. 
And yet, 60% of us have not mentioned the gospel in six months in our everyday conversations. Six months. 60%. 60% of people in America that say Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and he has saved them from uh, just not only the, the destructions of hell, but of everything in their life, and has given them a new citizenship has invited them into his family and given them eternal life, have not mentioned that fact to someone else in six months. That tells you about where our values are. That tells you about what we think is really great, what we think is worth sharing on Facebook. Right? That's low-hanging. That's super low-hanging fruit. Like, what are the things that we think are really important? The latest conspiracy theory? Right? What are the things that we consider important enough to share with the world around us? Because apparently, statistically speaking, it's not the gospel of Jesus. But it should be. Our culture, right? Our culture has shifted the discussion of faith from public to private. We are told by the culture around us that that's your private belief. Keep it to yourself. And we have gladly obliged. Because let's be honest, that makes being a Christian a little bit easier. But the result is apathy. You guys, the result has been apathy in our hearts and in our churches. We were created and given a voice to speak the name of of Jesus. And when we don't do it, what happens is that something inside of us that was created to celebrate this wonderful thing becomes neutered. We know it. We feel it inside that we were created to speak the name of Jesus. We were created to share this amazing treasure with the people around us. We know this. I don't need statistics to tell me that. We know this. And inside, we desire it. We desire it deeply. And we can think of dozens of reasons why we don't. Fear. Amen? Fear. There's a giant reason why we don't share the gospel of Jesus or speak the name of Jesus. I'm not going to spend too much time, too much more time talking about why we don't because Honestly, I'm hoping that that what we've talked about so far has pricked you to the point where you will explore that with Jesus. So let me just challenge you with this. Ask him why. Okay, I want you to go home at some point today, tonight. I want you to ask Jesus why. Ask him to show you why. He will in all of his grace, in all of his love, with no condemnation, he will tell you and share with you and reveal to you why you have such a hard time sharing the gospel. So do it. I'll encourage you with this. I look around here, and I know for the most part who's watching, you are clever, insightful, creative, educated, well-spoken people. You have everything that you need. 
you have everything that you need. Just earlier in this passage in Acts chapter 4, one of the most revealing things about being given a bold witness for Jesus, right? Peter and John, um, if you follow the story backwards, ever, anybody remember what they did for a living? They were fishermen. Now, um, we've come a long ways in our culture, in humanity, since um, these times, but fishermen are still viewed the same way, right? Like, Somebody that's a commercial fisherman is not necessarily viewed as somebody that's, uh, that, that is well-educated or well-read or well-spoken in our culture. They're not. They're not viewed that way. Now, many of them probably are, but nevertheless, that's the reputation. So Peter and John spend this time with Jesus, right? And Jesus ascends into heaven, and Peter and John are out sharing the gospel. And um, one of the things that impressed the crowds and one of the things that impressed the people that heard them was that, wait a second, we know where these guys came from. They're from Galilee, they're fishermen, they're uneducated. And yet the words that are coming out of their mouths are changing people's lives. Listen to me, you have everything you need. You have everything that you need. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. What more could you possibly need in order to share the words and the name of Jesus? One of the things that I, that I think is really important to, to, for us to recognize that this is a non-negotiable for the Christian faith. This is a non-negotiable for the Christian faith. Bold proclamation, as we look at the New Testament always goes hand in hand with being saved. Do you think that the woman of the well was a highly educated theological master? No. She was most likely a prostitute who met Jesus at a well. Jesus offered her eternal life. She took it and immediately did what? Ran back into town where she worked, right? Where she was known, where she had a reputation. She ran into the middle of the town and simply said, come meet this guy. And what did the town do? They followed her. And yet here we are saying that we can't do it. Bold proclamation, bold witness always follows salvation. Zacchaeus, right? Tax collector, again, has a reputation, is well known in the community, and it's not a good reputation, right? Meets Jesus, immediately does what? Pays back everybody that he swindled and gives half of everything that he owns to the poor, immediately, publicly, this is bold proclamation. This is bold witness. It goes hand in hand with salvation. When we come to the point of knowing how great our Savior is, it will come out of our lips. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So here's what we're going to do. Real quick, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the, the gospel of Jesus through the book of Exodus and we're going to walk forward. We'll, we'll, we'll do it uh, somewhat quickly, okay? Okay. Exodus 19, 
On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, you remember, right? God parts the Red Sea, the nation of Israel leaves Egypt. On the day when they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they sent out from, from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. If you will indeed obey my voice and obey my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for, the whole, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So God saves them and says, you saw how I saved you. Now, if you will obey me, you will be this, this, this. You will be a holy nation. You will be my priests. So a covenant agreement, right? Fully paid for and fully walked out by God, followed by what? Utter failure. Complete and utter failure on the part of the Israelites. And a mountain of evidence of God's faithfulness in the face of their failure. Now, fast forward, okay? The Gospels open with these scenes of Jesus as the human who can and will fulfill the covenant. As you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see it explicitly that Jesus is almost reenacting the book of Exodus. Okay? Uh, in Matthew 3, a voice from heaven that says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And in chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness and tempted. This is a direct reenactment of the book of Exodus. Right? Moses tells Pharaoh, remember what he tells him? Your firstborn will be killed if my firstborn is not freed. Who's the firstborn in Exodus? The nation of Israel. So we see this taking place in Matthew, right? After Pharaoh's or after Moses' words to Pharaoh, the Israelites then go into the wilderness and are tempted. Jesus is spoken of by God to be his one and only son, and he then goes into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus is reenacting for the world around him to see, I am walking the path that you walked, and I am going to succeed. I'm going to do what you couldn't, I mean, I'm do, and I'm going to do it for you. So Jesus becomes the priestly mediator between God and the people. Jesus is doing what they could not for them. So if we fast forward now, we, we have been given the same privilege. We have been given the role of priests and ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus because of what Jesus did on our behalf because we couldn't. It's about our identity. First Peter chapter 2. But you are a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's us. That's you and that's me a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's you and me. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Does this not remind us of the book of Exodus? The people of God received mercy even though they didn't deserve mercy. The New Testament closes with this exact same imagery. But Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God, his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelation 5. For you were slain. That is Jesus. You were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Right? So there's so much more to this than, hey, um, you're a sinner and Jesus died for you so you get to go to heaven. You have been brought into the nation of God, the kingdom of God, and you have been made priests to God. To proclaim what? What did he say? What was that word again? The excellencies. How many of us on a daily basis when we think of Jesus think of something like that? Think of the excellencies of everything that he has given us. The excellencies of who he is. I think most of us, when we're um, thinking of Jesus or when we're reading the Bible and we're praying, we're thinking about getting through it because our minds, if we're honest, are going to all the other things that we have to do that day. And it reveals to us our values. It reveals to us what we really think is excellent. Getting my tasks done. Or getting to that thing that I really want. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we have received his mercy, received his grace, and are now a part of his family. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a new creation? The old has passed away, and the new has come. Not will come someday when I'm a more mature Christian and get my act together. The new has come because of Jesus. Do we believe that? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. There are people around you, people that you love, who do not know Jesus, who cannot say this, who cannot say, yes, I believe that. I believe that I'm a new creation. I believe that I will be with God for eternity. Gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because of this, because of Jesus, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. We implore you. They're imploring um, the people that they're talking to while modeling for those people exactly what they're asking them to do. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. It's about identity. It's about who we are. 
everything that we do flows out of who we are, right? That's the way humanity works. Everything that we do flows out of who we are. And so we hear a message like this, and we're like, oh, I, gotta, you know, I just got to buckle down. I got to try harder. How's that working? How has it worked in the past? It doesn't work. If we want to more clearly in our life see and proclaim the excellencies of him who saved us, how do we, what do we do? If I want to know my wife better and I, I want to experience the excellencies of my wife's personality, what am I going to do? I'm going to spend more time with my wife. Right? And if we want to have a relationship, because we say that's what this is, right? We have a relationship with Jesus. How do we get to know him more? And if we believe that he really is that great, then why wouldn't we want to spend more time with him? So if this is something that we think, oh my gosh, like 80% of us think this is something that we should do. We should share the name of Jesus with the people around us. Spend more time with Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. We get bogged down with this idea of people saying, like, you just need to, you know, read your Bible, spend more time in the Word, um, pray more. And in our brains, we go, do, 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 do. We create a list, and we're like, oh, I, gotta, I just got to do these things to be better. It's not about being better. We've already proven as the human race that we're not better, and we never will be better. Can we collectively raise our hands and just admit that? It's not about being better. It's about knowing him more deeply and experiencing his love more deeply to the point where it flows out of us like the woman at the well, right? She received the living water and then what happened? It bubbled over in her life as a fountain immediately. If we've lost sight of the excellencies, if we've lost sight of the taste of the living water, what do we do? We return to the source and we drink deeply. It really is that simple. Jesus is the source of the living water. First Peter chapter 3. Uh, if you spent more than five minutes with Ralph Lombeck, you've heard him quote this verse, right? That, that's how important it is to him. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, okay? Now, Paul's, or Peter's assuming that they will be slandered. He doesn't say if you are slandered. He says when you are slandered. So that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we're talking about this idea of bold witness, bold proclamation. And sometimes when we talk about this idea, we have pictures in our mind of what we think that's supposed to look like, good or bad, right? There's the... Um, 
there's the, the guy on the soapbox and the sign that none of us have actually ever seen, but we've heard about in stories. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like some of us have. Or the guy on the megaphone. Like we have all the, a lot of these negative examples of what this looks like when we think of bold proclamation. And the word bold simply means brave. Right? I don't think that that's how Peter and John looked when, we were, when they were preaching the gospel to the Sanhedrin. We, when we think bold, we think brash, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a brave sharing of the hope that is in you. And Peter says that we should be prepared to do that. You should be prepared to do that. So there's an idea here that there's forethought going into this, right? So how do we prepare to... Um, there's a, there's a program you can look online and you can and find a website it's called Couch to 5K, right? There's this program for people that have never done any running in their life to get them off the couch to, and then to the point where they can run a 5K uh, run. That's 3.1 miles. It's called Couch to 5K. They're preparing to run a 5K and it starts with getting off the couch. So if we want to prepare to uh, provide a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that is in us, Now, these, these two things go hand in hand. It's really neat how this works. Why would somebody ask us about the hope that is in us? Because they see it, right? And so walking uh, and pursuing Jesus does something to our life to the point where people see that we have hope. And if we are walking after Jesus and if we are following in his footsteps, we are preparing to share about that hope. You see how they go hand in hand? It's not like, okay, you need to read a book on becoming a good witness so that you can have like um, the, the, the wordless book in your back pocket so you can walk people through it. These two things go hand in hand. Following Jesus and being able to share the hope that you have in Jesus go hand in hand. It's the same thing. But here's what he says, okay? In this passage, he highlights three things that we're prepared, Right? That we know what we're hoping in. It's that simple. That we just simply know what we're hoping in. It's, this is not saying that you have to explain the five points of Calvinism. It's not saying that you have to somehow uh, explain a theological framework of your faith. It simply means that you know how to say what you hope in. And that can simply be as, be as simple as, I love Jesus. When somebody goes, what happened to you? You're different. I met Jesus, and he changed my life. What does that look like? Oh, there are some things that, 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 I, that I do now that I didn't used to do. I've become a part of a community of people who, who also love Jesus and whose lives have also been changed by him. And so we, we gather weekly on Sunday mornings, and we, and we talk about Jesus, and we sing uh, songs, and we're, and we're trying to live um, and trying to follow Jesus together. It's like, I didn't just say anything that you guys don't already know right? It's just simply sharing about the hope that you have in your own life. Number two, he says, um, yet do it with gentleness. Okay. So like the whole, like, um, if you don't, if you don't believe, okay, this is what we get on Facebook, right? When we're talking about bold witness. If you don't believe what I believe, you're going to get yours. Jesus is going to come back and you're going to go to hell and I'm going to be there to watch it. Like we don't say it quite like that, but we know people that do, right? So Peter, 2,000 years ago, says, 
yet do it with gentleness. Because the hope that we have in Jesus, he's a gentle, loving Savior. And then he says something else that we have lost in our time. He says, yet do it with gentleness and what else? Respect. Respect. Don't treat people like idiots. You don't believe in Jesus? Oh my gosh. Do you even? Right? Is that the phrase? Is that how it goes? I don't know. No? Okay. I can't even. There it is. I can't even. Treat people with respect. Treat people as intelligent. The people around us are intelligent. And yet sometimes we can start to have this posture, knowing or unknowing, that people that don't believe us, that, that don't believe as we believe, are yet somehow just a, a half notch below us intellectually. Because the Bible says, uh, you know, everything about God is revealed to us plainly in creation. So, come on, idiots, right? That's tend to, that tends to be the posture that we can have. And we don't think that, but that's what the world around us gets. So Peter says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. Romans 1.15 says, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's eager to speak words, to preach. And again, something that we have uh, bought into is this lie that we can, um, we can just, I just preach the gospel with my life. I don't need to speak about it. You don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. You don't see that anywhere in the lives of the apostles. They were constantly talking about the hope that they had been given. Constantly. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches, his riches. Think about this, the riches of the one who created all the riches. That's a lot of riches. Right? He bestows his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I'm just going to make this really plain. You have been sent. You have been sent. It's the Great Commission. And we're seeing it starting in Acts chapter 4. We can't stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. 
And then verse 29, after they didn't stop and wouldn't stop speaking of what they had seen and heard, they pray to God, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, grant to us to continue to speak your words with all boldness. First Corinthians chapter two. And when I came to you, brothers, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. This is Paul speaking, by the way. Very educated. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. So he's like, I didn't come to you and give you a a giant uh, thesis. I came to you and I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I just gave you the gospel. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I'm going to reread you this same passage from the, the message translation. Audible gasp among the audience. This is the first time I've ever done this. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to read the same passage I just read. I'm going to read it to you again. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on the, uh, God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches or the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it, And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else, but the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life and faith is a response to God's power, not some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Just the gospel, just the hope, the hope that you hold, the the reason that you're here this morning right? Share it with others. If it's that great, why wouldn't we share it? It's a quote. I couldn't find the source of this quote, but I thought it was really great. I wanted to close with this. To reach people, gospel preachers must challenge the culture's story at points of confrontation and finally retell the culture's story as it were, revealing how its deepest aspiration for good can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, I read that quote to you, and when I read that quote, I went, that kind of seems opposite of what Paul just said, right? But that's simply all we're doing, is we're we're, we're quite simply uh, entering into the story of the people around us, and that there are points of confrontation, There are points in our story and there are points in the story of the lives of the people around us where the gospel just fits. Like you're putting together a puzzle and you can't find the last piece and you look at that and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, here it is. Bam. There are points in your life and there are points of the people around you in their lives where the gospel very clearly and plainly, we've all experienced this, the gospel is the only thing that fits in that hole. And what this quote simply means is that at that moment, you are being invited, you are being called to open your mouth and with your words, put the gospel, put the truth and the hope of Jesus into that puzzle and complete it because nothing else can.
And the Holy Spirit has said, I will be with you. Jesus said, I'm spending my, sending my spirit. I'm sending the helper to help you with this task. You have everything that you need. You have it all. So my prayer for you this week is that as you live this week, as you go to work, as you spend time with your friends, um, socially distanced, all masked up, right? Just like we are today. As you do these things, be ready. Be ready. Somebody, hopefully, somebody is going to come here next week and be like, dude, it happened. You will have a point this week. You'll have a moment. You'll have an opportunity. Be prepared to speak the hope of Jesus with gentleness and respect. That's it. Not lofty speech. Just the love and hope of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we come before you as, as, as Peter and John did, Father, and we ask that you would grant to us to continue to speak boldly. And Lord, we confess our unwillingness to do so. We confess, we confess our pride in thinking that we need to offer something greater than what you've given us. We confess that, Jesus, and we ask that you would give us more of your grace that as we come to your word, as we come to you in prayer, Father, that you would fill us with your living water more and more, that it would bubble out of our lives and it would bubble out of our mouths to the people around us. And to that end, we pray. Amen.